At a time of deep division in today's society, we must come together for humanity's sake. On Can We Talk 360, we strive to stimulate an authentic conversation on issues that affect all of us in an environment of tolerance. I am Eugene Pettis, attorney and community servant. Tune into our discussion to foster a greater awareness of yourself and others. Let's discover how there is strength in our differences and an abundance of possibilities when we stand together as one humanity. Welcome to Can We Talk 360. Today we have two esteemed guests, Dr. Rosalind Osgood, as well as uh, Mr. Bruce Rogo. I'm excited to the conversation that we're getting ready to have. And the panel discussion today is going to be constitutional law and individual rights. And we are looking to who can draw the line where personal freedoms impact the safety or interests of the general public. Uh, this is a timely discussion. We've had so many occasions during the pandemic uh, of, of, of this coming up, whether we're going to wear a mask or not wear a mask. Can you force me to do uh, six feet distance between people? On and on and on. And many times uh, people really don't understand the constitutional aspect of some of the rights that we do have, and we don't understand the limits. So I'm hopeful uh, through the expertise of our panelists, you're going to have a better understanding of some of the exceptions to our constitutional rights so that we can have a more informed understanding and dialogue. And if we do that, I think some of the tension that we're seeing in society today may be lessened. Uh, let me introduce, first of all, Dr. Rosalind Osgood. Dr. Osgood is currently uh, the chairperson of the school board of Broward County. This is your second term, isn't it, Dr. Osgood? You've done it yes. before. Yes. Uh, so this is her second time being chairman of the school board of Broward County. Uh, Dr. Osgood is a native of, of Broward County, went to public schools here at Fort Lauderdale High School, has her master's uh, and doctoral degree uh, in public administration from Nova University. Uh, she has truly been at the forefront uh, of, of some of the issues that are on a national scale. I, I joked with her that I've turned on every single possible news channel there is, and there was a week or two where she was on every one of them. Uh, and it's because of the fact that she showed bold leadership uh, as chairman uh, dealing with the mask and, and protecting uh, the 260 or so thousand students we have here in Broward County. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit more. Dr. Osgood also happens to be a minister. Uh, she's the associate minister at Mount Olive, the new Mount Olive Baptist Church here in Fort Lauderdale. And she has really been a great public servant. She's the CEO uh, of uh, Modco, Mount Olive Redevelopment uh, uh, Entity uh, here in, in, in Broward County, where she does all sorts of public service, uh, which I really is where her heart is uh connected to the community uh she's been a, a former adjunct professor at nova southeastern heinzinger school of business where she taught public policy evaluation in a master uh in the master of public administration program uh we're looking for she's received all sorts of awards that time does not permit she's she's an author she's written uh two books uh and and just truly is a, a gem of of our community uh, thank you, Dr. Osgood, for being here. Uh, Mr. Bruce Rogo. Uh, uh, Mr. Rogo is, is really uh, a preeminent constitutional scholar, not just on the local or state level, 
but on the national level. He's he was one of the uh, founding professors. He was the founding professor of the, the law school over at Nova Southeastern, where he served not just as the uh, co-dean of the law school. He also had, he was acting dean at one time. He was a professor for many years. Uh, and before we went on on air, he was telling me about some of the people uh, that have been his students that have gone on to do great things here in our community. Uh, uh, Mr. Rogo has uh, practice in in the area of constitutional law, probably for the past 55 plus years, uh, and has had over 450 civil and criminal cases in federal and state appellate courts, including 11 cases that he has uh, had in the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, the list of, of, of cases he's argued is really varied. Uh, he's, he's had some landmark decisions uh, that he is, has been the lead on. Uh, he has been counseling scores of cases in, 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 in front of uh, the Florida Supreme Court and truly, truly, truly is the go-to uh, constitutional uh, lawyer, uh, one of the tops in the United States and certainly uh, uh, the pride of the state of Florida. Uh, Mr. Rogo is listed, he's been listed for the last 32, 33 years in the best lawyers in America. Uh, he has been, you know, bet, bet the company litigation. He's called upon for appellate law uh, representation, white collar, and it really goes on. I, I, I uh, Mr. Rogo's CV and accolades uh, are really, really phenomenal. So uh, I was so happy when he agreed because he's going to bring some very insightful experience and context to, to our discussion. Uh, thank both of you for, for being a part of this discussion. Uh, we've all heard uh, uh, over the last year and a half, but even over the uh, many years before, we've heard uh, statements such as, you can't tell me what to do. I have my First Amendment rights. Uh, I don't have to shut up. I have the constitutional right of freedom of speech. Uh, you can't force me to take the vaccine. My body, my choice. Uh, you can't make me wear a mask. We've all heard those in response to, to one uh, societal issue or another. It seems to me in recent decades, there's been a progressive movement toward individuality and less dealing with community and the well-being of the community. We've seen a growth of attitudes. I have a right to my behavior, even if it impinges upon uh, someone else's right. Uh, my right is superior. Um, and and I, I wanted to give some context uh, as, we, as we go through this, uh, because many people uh, uh, looking at modern day dispute have little historical perspective on how these issues have played out over time. Uh, you know, and, 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 and one of the things uh, that I wanted to give context to is uh, a headline, outraged by San Francisco's mask wearing ordinance. They protest and assembled in large numbers, fighting the public health authorities for the freedom to walk around barefaced or without a mask. That headline could be applicable in any city where the COVID is rampant today here in the United States. Uh, but it's from January 25th, 1919. 102 years ago, 
the same battles of you can't make me wear a mask uh, were being, you know, being advanced as they are today. The newspaper that I pulled that from, uh, the headline was anti-mask meeting tonight. And right after they pulled the uh, mask mandate, some uh, 46,000 people in San Francisco uh, contracted um, uh, at that point, the pandemic uh, of the Spanish flu. Uh, up until this week, I think it was on the 21st on Monday, uh, the Spanish flu had 675,000 people who died and uh, COVID-19 just advanced and went beyond that on, on, on Monday. So, Mr. Rogo, one of the things that I want to, to, to speak with you about first is um, let's look at from a constitutional uh, analysis standpoint, uh, will you discuss uh, a, a context? We all know the, uh, the Constitution and, and the Congress shall uh, make no law respecting an establishment of religion, prohibiting free exercise thereof, abridging the freedom of speech, uh, are the press, are the right of people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government uh, for redress of grievances. You know, that's taught to us in our civics classes. Uh, are those types of rights without the ability to be restricted? And if not, explain it to us. Well, you know, when the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law, uh, it's not true because Congress obviously and the states can make laws that restrict private rights uh, if those laws are made for the public good. So, you know, we start off with the premise of that very strong word, Congress shall make no law. And then when you look at it, you have to understand uh, and accept the fact that there are limitations, limitations of speech, limitations to assembly, uh, and those limitations are, are based upon the governmental decision that the public good is better served by the limitations imposed by the legislative branch. So, you know, I think one of the problems here is, is that people take things too literally. Uh, and you just can't take the Congress shall make no law as the literal last word on your right to be able to do that which you please. Uh, you're part of a larger society and as part of a larger society, the larger society can impose limitations uh, on some of these fundamental rights. So that's the simple answer to that. And, and you, you talked about the exceptions of speech, exceptions of assemb uh, assembly. Uh, while the Constitution gives us those rights, there are exceptions. Give us some examples of uh, exceptions to the freedom to, uh, to speech. Well, defamation uh, isn't one example. Uh, you know, if you could say whatever you want, you could call people whatever names you want to call them and ruin your reputation, and there'd be no remedy. But obviously there is uh, a remedy. Uh, fraud. You can say things, uh, but if they're said fraudulently for your own private benefit, the trial that's going on in California now, uh, Elizabeth Holmes, uh, Theranos trial, uh, she made representations and the representations the government is saying are false. 
uh, obscenity. There, of course, the obscenity cases now, you know, are are complicated and difficult. But but even there, uh, there are limitations as to what can be said and what can be shown. So, I mean, if you think about uh, one of the old adages, you probably have heard: you can't cry, you can't cry theater, you can't cry fire in a lot in a crowded theater uh, because obviously it posed a danger to the people who would be in the theater with you. So all these are just simple examples of limitations upon speech and assembly also. I mean, certainly the right to assemble, the right to protest is important, but there are limitations. Uh, can, can you interfere uh, in a situation that causes greater danger? The answer is no. And I notice the picture behind you uh, Gene is the Selma march uh, behind you. I happened to be there in March 1965 in the Selma wow. march. And uh, so I can tell you stories there about limitations upon uh, upon assembly and protest. But uh, anyway, nothing nothing is absolute. You know, it, it's just it's just one of these things. Even when you tell your children to do something, uh, you may be absolute, but the children may not obey you. Uh, and sometimes they're right, sometimes they're not. But but there's give and take here. The uh, you know even doing some of the public protests of of last year, um, and this across the country and and the world, uh, municipalities were able to uh, place uh, orders. For curfews, uh, you know, and, and if you if you didn't go off the streets at the time of the curfew, uh, then you were sub subject to arrest. Uh, and while we had the right to assemble under that context, they felt safety of the community outweighed um, uh, outweighed that right, and they they controlled it. In a recent article, uh, Mr. Rogo, that I I reviewed, the true face of freedom wears a mask. Um, and it was by Kwame Anthony uh, Apaya, a professor at, uh, of law and philosophy at New York University. He discussed uh, the iconic images uh, of freedom here in America. If you ask people to describe freedom, you know, and describe, you know, rolling down the open highway, possibly with the wind in our hair, and you made comment to me that it wouldn't be applicable to you and I. Uh, uh, with our hair blowing, are riding the mo motorcycle on the open road. Um, under that iconic scenario, are we absolutely free uh, to do what we want in those contexts? We've created this image that's really helped cement people thinking that I have the right to, you know, to do those things. But I want people to understand, even in that context, there are all sorts of governmental regulatory actions that are precursors to, to you rolling down the street with, with your top down or on your motorcycle. Uh, how, how do you look and, 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 and balance that iconic image we have with the true application of government involvement, Bruce? Well, I think if anybody is thoughtful and thinks about it, they'll recognize that there's an obligation if you're on your motorcycle uh, in most states to wear a helmet. Uh, and it's not just for your protection, uh, it's because the public good is served by it. We don't wanna have hospitals overcrowded with people having concussions because they fell off their motorcycle. 
uh, a seat belt. That's the simplest thing. Everybody gets in their car every day and that little bell goes on, remind you to put your seat belt on. So if you were completely free, you, you could drive your motorcycle without the seat, ride it without the, without the helmet, drive without the seatbelt. It's, it's just not so. And there are signs in restaurants. The restaurants some restaurants want you to wear shoes uh, when you come in and wear a shirt when you come in. I mean, the everyday life, if you think about your everyday life, it is subject to these kinds of, of I don't want to call them necessarily restrictions, but decisions made for the public good by the people that have been elected uh, who are charged with trying to achieve the public good. And, you know, the vaccination thing, of course, is one of the most interesting today. But in 1905, in the case Jacobson versus Massachusetts, the Supreme Court held that Jacobson had to pay a fine because he refused to be vaccinated. And this was smallpox time. And this was a decision that was made in order to protect the community from smallpox. And in 1991 in Philadelphia, uh, there were people who had religious beliefs uh, against having their children vaccinated, there was a measles outbreak. Uh, and the measles outbreak was actually killing children. And the, and the uh, state of, uh, state of uh, Pennsylvania uh, and the city of Philadelphia was able to go in and vaccinate these children, even though their parents didn't want it. And that's kind of the analogy to what we're seeing today. You know, do, do parents have the right to override what decisions have been made that serve the public good. And that, of course, brings us to Dr. Osgood's dilemma uh, just this morning. Uh, you know, it is amazing how these things from 1905, you think it would have been settled, 1905, the Supreme Court decision. But here, here we are in 2021, and Dr. Osgood is, is in the is in the uh, the sights of uh, of the governor of the state of Florida and the Surgeon General in terms of what the future of the school board's duties will be. You know, I have a background in public administration. I'm not an attorney. And the whole concept of public administration was formed by Woodrow Wilson around this whole notion of how you administrate the government. So if we were free to just do what we want to do, we wouldn't have legislative bodies. We wouldn't have rules and regulations. For me, it's just that simple. As we live life from day to day, there are choices and there are certain disciplines and certain ways that we govern. I even think about sometimes there are restrictions, although you're paying for it, as to when you can use your water at your house or not. If there's going to be a shortage on water, the city will issue something saying that you can only water your lawn between this hour and that hour. So I certainly, as I'm listening, I'm getting greater insight in historical perspectives as we find ourselves living in this time where I agree with Attorney Pettis, where most of our individuals' thoughts and patterns are based around self, not society as a whole. And I think when we look at governance and rules and regulations, it's how we can better administrate the government, how we can live better as a people together collectively, not just an individual ideology or individual rights. You know, I have preferences. I tend to like to wear pink and green. You know, I certainly wouldn't want to restrict attorney Pettis from wearing crimson and cream. You know, I have my individual rights and I, I they are, I'm able to follow those as long as those rights are not infringing or causing harm to others. David Boaz, uh, go ahead. You got something to say? Mr. Rogo? 
No, no, no. I, I agree with Dr. Osgood. And I, and I like uh, green and pink. I think it's a nice color. <laughs> uh, David Boas from the Cato Institute, which is a uh, institute here uh, dealing with American public policy based on individual uh, individual liberties and, and, and limited government, et cetera. But even he made a comment that was interesting. We believe in the presumption of liberty, but that presumption can be overcome in particular circumstances. And that's what, that's what you're stating, Attorney Rogo, is that there are circumstances that the public interest may outweigh that individual right and government has a right to, to institute certain policies that may otherwise look to be infringing on your individual right. Is that what you're saying? It, it is, but you know what's interesting about our legal system is the legal system gives everyone the opportunity to challenge the government action. Uh, but the challenges are through the court system and through a kind of reasoned analysis. And, you know, the Supreme Court sometimes decides cases five to four. So nothing is so clear cut. Um, the only clear cut thing is that when the Constitution says no law, it's not true. <laughs> there can be law, uh, but the law has to be reasonable and fair and non-discriminatory. So it's a complicated process. I mean, there's no question that uh, that limitations are, are both desirable uh, and honorable, uh, and the question then becomes in the context of the in, of the specific limitation. Mr. Boas went uh, further and stated, the right rules are a condition of liberty. We wouldn't have the blissful freedom of the road if not for measures to pave the roads, to have eminent domain powers to make sure you can uh, direct the road in a straight uh, path, on and on. All of these are, are, you know, I have the right to my property, but under certain circumstances, you can have eminent domain that forces you to sell your property. It, mm -hmm. it happens all the time, all over the country, uh, which is just, he, he, even he who speaks of individual liberties recognizes uh, some, of the, some of the limitations. Uh, Dr. Osgood, um, let's discuss collectively it seems that there are those restrictions that are placed on an individual for activities such as riding a motorcycle. You need to wear a helmet, uh, seatbelt. You need to, you know, you drive your car, you need to have your seatbelt on. Those are kind of directed toward keeping every individual safe. We're now in a, a, a pandemic in which the behavior of one not only can harm themselves, but it can expose others. So it's, it's, it's the fact that we're looking at the individual liberties and their ability, if exercised, to have negative health impacts on others. Bruce, in the law, uh, is that, a, is, is, is that a, um, a distinction that has any value that certain things you can do individually, but when those individual activities start crossing over and causing harm to others, that's of significance, and you don't have a right to cause harm to other people. Well, that's right. I mean, defamation is a good example of that. Uh, you, you have a right to speak, but you don't have a right to say things that are defamatory and ruin people's reputation. 
Uh, and I think that that is kind of the goal of the government. The goal of the government is to provide a universe in which people can can be themselves and be successful, uh, but at the same time uh, recognize duties and obligations to others. And and that's really the, the key, I think, to to proper living, whether it, it's under the under the auspices of government, under the auspices of re, uh, of religion, under the auspices of of just good conduct among people, um, the relationship that you have with others has to be factored in. You know, when I'm listening and I think about something as simple as smoking cigarettes, and I remember over the years how that has changed where you could just smoke anywhere you wanted to smoke. And as more people began to die, there began to be research about secondhand smoke. Now you are limited. You can't just smoke anywhere you want to smoke. When you have a school setting, oftentimes rules are very different in a school setting because you're dealing with children a lot of times who are more fragile you're dealing with large populations of adults. It's like even with just dress codes, you know, a certain way that you're expected to dress in a school environment is very different than if you were going to a club or a wrestling match. And so as we think about individual rights and individual freedoms, what bothers me most is the inconsistencies in the way that we approach policymaking especially on the state and federal level with what appears to be to me now a lack of appreciation for local control or local policymaking. And I think you have the different levels of policymaking because we know that when you're making local policy, you have a more accurate picture of the group of people that you're trying to make policy uh, for. When you're looking from a federal perspective, it's more broader. From a state perspective, it's less broader than a federal perspective, but it's still more broader. For example, I, I joked about the pink and green. I'm in a sorority. We have a national policy right now in COVID that we can meet for program and community service activities with 50 people present based on everyone showing proof that they are vaccinated. Well, I'm in Florida. So in our chapter, we have put more restrictions on that policy and we're only meeting with 10 people face-to-face -face with proof of vaccination because the positivity rates in Florida are higher than they are in other places across the nation. That, that, that's a great, great example. Um, and, you know, Mr. Apaya, who, who, who is the author of the, the face, the true face of freedom wears a mask, he made an interesting comment that mass wearing rules, which protect both the individual and the Commonwealth or the community, don't compromise liberty, they advance it. Uh, and, and what he was touching upon was the uncontrolled spread of infectious diseases gets in the way of managing another person's own life. Um, and, and, and they have a right to be, you know, if they're doing everything they can to keep them and their family safe, one shouldn't encroach upon them just because the other person has their liberties. Uh, and, and, and he made a, he, he, he made a, in, in his article, he bluntly stated, uh, there's precious little freedom in the sick ward and even less in the graveyard. Uh, we can't just ignore uh, the realities that we're dealing with. But Dr. Osgood, let me show a video 
to to talk about your current situation um, uh, in schools. Bauman for the past four school days has walked his daughter Isabel right up to the gates here at Fort Lauderdale High School only to be denied that happened again today but except this morning things went a little sideways. In the midst of a steady stream of kids filing into Fort Lauderdale High School on what appears to be a usual Monday morning quickly turns unusual. A student appears to grab a man's phone but he's arrested after snatching it back from that student. For the past four school days, this father, who would only identify himself as Dan, walks his daughter Isabel into school only to be denied because she won't wear a mask. This is him before the arrest. First of all, it's illegal for them to mandate it. It's against the law, against the Parents' Bill of Rights. Isabel is a sophomore at Fort Lauderdale High. She admittedly is an anti-masker and thinks face covering should be optional. I want um, to be able to go to school it's like everyone does, but... I can't wear a mask. I can't breathe in it. Since Broward schools resumed in-person learning, Isabel has shown up every day only for the proverbial door to be slammed in her maskless face. But still, she's not afraid to push a familiar liberal agenda of it's my body, it's my choice. Well, they, their default line is, is that we're doing our job, we're doing what the school board says, even though the school board is making a legal move. The 15-year-old isn't sure what her classmates think, nor does she really care, but it appears they do. And they're saying that they stand for kids, whereas they're actually distracting them right now. It's really annoying, and I think it's really dumb. Several dozen classmates line the fence, chanting their feelings on the matter. Talk, talk to us about the challenge that you have faced uh, with taking the first district, uh, school district in the state of Florida to come out and say, we're going to mandate masks to come to school. And there have been a number that followed, uh, but it was a uh, strong, bold move when you made your decision uh, a couple of months ago, uh, a month and a half ago, however long it's been since you all made your, your ruling. What has been the challenge with this type of incident of parents just insisting on my child is not going to wear a mask? Well, it has been a challenge because it's caused major disruption in the school system from kids being able to go to school and feel safe to the school board now being in a legal battle with the government uh, in Tallahassee who continues to impose different types of policies and regulations that causes the school board to have to do a lot of unnecessary administrative work. When we made our decision, we made that decision based on information that we received from the Centers for Disease Control, who is the leading expert when it comes to healthcare matters. You have to listen at scientists and doctors. In the field of public administration, we have various disciplines, just like law. And normally there's a discipline that leads in an area. If I'm talking about crime, I'm gonna listen at law enforcement. In this case, I'm talking about health issues. So I should listen at doctors and scientists and those that work in that profession. So the Centers of Disease Control says that if we're gonna open schools face-to-face -face and we agree that we, we need to, it's the best means of educating our students, we have to do it with, with some restrictions because we have a global pandemic that's taken the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. So we make a move to protect our students and to protect our staff by mandating masks in schools. Now keep in mind, 
We opened schools at the end of the previous school year with masks being mandated. We went through a very aggressive summer program that we operated in 91 facilities and we mandated masks. So we didn't do anything that we had not done before without any pushback. So we have a small group of people who are anti-mask, who many of them do not have children in public school systems. They have a loud voice, they get a lot of time on TV and they push back against the mask. So this girl goes to school, she's not wearing a mask. Her dad starts videotaping another girl who's wearing a mask when she moves his phone, he shoves her and he's arrested. So then you see the students uh, begin to express their support for mask mandate. When you look at the data, and that's what to me is missing in this whole conversation. We normally make evidence-based decisions when it comes to policy. So when we look at our data, on the highest day, we've had eight students who refuse to wear a mask. We average about six students a day, five from the same family that says it's for religious reasons. We have isolation rooms for those students that we allow them to come and not wear their mask and be in an environment alone and not be in an environment with the potential of causing harm to other students because we all know that the doctors have told us now for over a year that this pandemic is a airborne pandemic. So the more people you are around without mask and conversation is taking place, the more you have uh, exposure or you're at risk for the pandemic. In schools, as a school board member, I have been elected by a local citizenry to put policies in place that allow kids to learn in an environment that is safe. We have certain air quality control measures that we have to follow, certain facility restrictions that we have to follow. And certainly in the midst of a pandemic, you have to use the mitigating tools that you have, which is vaccinations, mask and washing of hands. We can't practice social distancing with a class size of 26 and at least one or two teachers in that classroom. So it takes out that provision of social distancing to mitigate the spread of the pandemic. So you have two tools left, vaccinations, which we can't make mandatory for everybody. Kids under 12 don't have that option. So you use the mask, which is the consistent thing that you're able to use. So this has caused a lot of disruption to the school system. Uh, the anti-mask group has threatened several school board members across. We even had a situation where we had this mask policy on the agenda and we had to literally shut down the business of the school because they pushed their way into the school facility. And once they got inside, they removed their mask they started banging on the window, they start yelling out. And as a school board chair, I will admit, I got overly concerned because of what we experienced January 6th, a year ago in DC, something that we never thought we would see an insurrection at the Capitol. So you just don't want to risk the violence and you don't want to risk having someone die because of this global pandemic and they're confined to a small school classroom or on a school bus where you have 30 or 40 students on a bus, you let down the windows, but if you're not wearing a mask, you are putting people at greater risk. In any other way that we operate from day to day, we try to put ourselves in the least restricted environment to cause harm to ourselves. We don't put ourselves in harm's way. 
So I believe with emphatically that not wearing a mask in a school environment would be putting students and staff in harm's way and putting their lives in danger and risking their lives. And I just can't do it. And to the credit, and to the credit of Dr. Osgood and the school board in Broward County, uh, it, it is acting in the, in the highest and most honorable way in terms of discharging its responsibility. And to see these people, just a handful of people who do get more time than they deserve uh, to be heard uh, is distressing. So thank you, Dr. Oscar. It was interesting, uh, uh, Mr. Rogo, I don't know if you got a chance to see I don't, uh, the Daily Business Review, but on Monday, uh, September 20th, uh, there was an article and it was uh, entitled, Three decades ago, Scalia, that is late Justice Scalia, foresaw challenges to vaccine mandates. And they were speaking of uh, more than 30 years ago uh, in the decision of employment division uh, versus Smith. Uh, the majority ruled that the First Amendment typically does not bar the application of a neutral, generally applicable law to religious uh, motivated actions. And what he said, and he was known as obviously a strong conservative, but his position on this particular point was that if we start allowing religious exceptions for all sorts of public policies, there won't be any, everybody's gonna get around the policies. And Dr. Osgood, I know the policy that you all have now gives some exceptions. Um, I saw on the newspaper, excuse me, on television this past weekend, where this chiropractor has given uh, several hundred uh, uh, medical exemptions to wearing a mask, and they were confronting him about it. People get around the law uh, and use it, you know, uh, uh, for ill-gotten purposes, uh, and don't truly have a medical condition which the policy is addressed, uh, you know, is set there to address. Bruce, why is it that, and you have a longer perspective, you've been practicing law for 55, 56 years. Um, uh, why does it feel so toxic now? Why does this issue, you know, in, in, in the San Francisco 1919 matter, 1909 matter that I, I talked about, that was citizens, you know, battling mass wearing. Now it seems like the politicians have gotten into it. So not just citizens, but the politicians and policymakers on the federal levels and state levels are fueling it as much as uh, citizens. Why, why do you think I, that is? Because I think, I mean, I, I assume that some of these people uh, honestly believe what they are saying, uh, but they are simply misguided. And, and the only other explanation is, is their self-interest, that they think that there are a sufficient number of people who will be supportive of them and that will, it will achieve some other purpose for them. Uh, I, I find it kind of astounding. I mean, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't scare me as much as it does disappoint me. Uh, and as Dr. Osgood pointed out, I mean, when you've got medical people telling you uh, the hospitals are overcrowded, they're crying out for help, 
there's no question that vaccination, which is supported by the majority of people in the country. I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, most of the people in the country, I think you have to look at it in a positive way. Most of the people in the country are complying with these kind of rules and these kind of mandates. Uh, and the politicians that are, that are disappointing us by not exhibiting leadership, if anything, they're exhibiting just the opposite of leadership, leading people away from, from rational thought uh, is disappointing. And so, I mean, uh, there are people, Harvard Medical School, our new Surgeon General, you know, has a different approach. Uh, Florida Surgeon General has a different approach to how things should be done. Uh, he's entitled to have a, a different approach, but it seems to me that, that when you take a look at the overwhelming medical uh, thought on this, there's only one conclusion, be vaccinated, wear a mask. Those are the two helpful things, simple things really uh, to be done. But I don't know, it, you know, too many people talking too much. I agree be with Attorney Robo, you know, I feel strongly that it's all about parochial self-interest because the basis of government is government is for the people, by the people. As an elected official, my job is to make policies that's going to enhance the quality of life of people that elect me to represent them. In my case on the school board, I am a district school board member that's elected by the people that live in District 5. But my vote is my voice in a decision for students and staff that come in contact with the Broward County school system, irregardless of where they live, irregardless of their race, their gender, their religious background. So when we get into parochial self-interest or we exercise what we have uh, given ourselves this measure of privilege, where we think that we as an individual should dictate how everybody else live, how everybody else responds to life and just do what we wanna do and not have a bare conscience of human decency to think about how what we're doing could harm another. If I take it to a faith perspective, we talking about religion, it's just basic common good across all religious disciplines to be a good neighbor, to be a decent human being, to care about others, no matter whether you're a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, the basic notion of caring about your brother and your sister is just a basic notion of living as a decent person every day. But parochial self-interest takes us away from that. It, it gives us this notion of privilege or dictatorship where we think that whatever my isolated or individual preference is or whatever my choice is gonna gain me or whatever benefit I'm gonna get from it personally is what I'm gonna impose on everybody else and just disregard how it may cause them to suffer. I've had to attend funerals of teachers that died that were not vaccinated. I've had to have conversations with students who lost parents that were not vaccinated. And now I'm going to have them come to a school where someone is not wearing a mask and literally put their lives on the line while they're already being traumatized by a situation that they're having a real live experience of a mother or a father who perhaps 
chose not to get vaccinated for whatever reason, and we could say it was irresponsible or however we feel about it, but now that child is left living with that decision, experiencing the harm of grief, and just trying to figure all this out. School has to be a safe place for kids. It has to be a safe environment. It has to be an environment that strengthens and builds characters and meet those emotional needs of students. It can't be another place where a student is now struggling, a student feels unsafe, a student don't know what's gonna happen from day to day because policymakers are imposing things that add further harm to their life and their lived experiences. You know, Dr. Osgood, you, you uh, well stated, and one of the things, and you touched upon it a little earlier, is that it seems to be more encroachment by state into local policy decisions than we've seen in the past. Uh, school districts have some statutory recognized independence. It's the independent school district of, of Broward County. Uh, yet we see politics interfering and trying to control the decision-making of the local agency. Uh, how do we, how, where does this take us? Where are we headed? Uh, where are we having battles between state and, 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 and some of the local districts uh, trying to take away the board members' right to do what's best for their community, which may be different from the community in the Panhandle, the community up north. Uh, when we're a hotspot here in Broward County, there may be certain things that you do that may differ from um, uh, uh, other circuits or other uh, school districts in the state. But how do we handle the debate that I see going on uh, really in Florida? I think Florida and Texas are about as bad as they get. Give us some, shed some light, Mr. Rogo. Well, you know, it reminds me when Dr. Osgood was talking about the water limitations, uh, water limitations. Uh, it's a good example of local decisions being made uh, that serve the local community. This is not a hard concept. And, uh, and this notion of, of a statewide view of what's good at a local level, uh, county level or even municipal level. I mean, there's an issue about gun registration uh, that, that uh, has been litigated in Florida where the state preempts local laws uh, and local laws that are trying to serve the local community. So I think that, that it, it is not a good path. Uh, and this notion of parents' bill of rights, you know, has kind of another bill of rights theory uh, has overcome common sense in these situations. So I think that, you know, part of the problem here is, is that we're no question as a result of the last uh, four years, six years, uh, we've, we've had a highly charged political environment. And, uh, and I don't think that's a healthy environment. I think people lose perspective. Uh, but if you're talking about the law, the truth is the law has been pretty good. You know, the, the Florida statutes have been enjoined by federal judges, uh, federal judges who were appointed by a Republican president. Uh, uh, and uh, it, 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 one of the things, you know, you talk about 55, 56 years I've practiced law. 
uh, one thing I've never felt in all of that time that I've ever had a case stolen from me. I've never felt that I was hometowned or I've lost cases, I've lost cases in the Supreme Court, five to four, one of them five to four. But I, I, I understood the arguments on the other side, but I really feel like the federal judiciary has done a good job in trying to uphold uh, the law as it saw fit. And now, you know, we're facing another situation with the abortion case coming to the U.S. Supreme Court. So it's interesting. But I think what it underscores is there's no question that that there, there is grounds and there are avenues for differences of opinion on some things. But with something like health, it seems to me you follow your doctor's orders and, uh, and I think that's what Dr. Osgood is faced with here, following the, the good judgment of people who are, who are intelligent and trained to have that kind of judgment. And when the local hospitals tell you we need, we need help, uh, those are doctors you have to pay attention to. So I think the school board has done a terrific job here in, uh, in leading the charge statewide for the independence of school boards making local decisions. But uh, it's a tough environment. Uh, I don't think I, I would be happy having to face the kind of things that Dr. Osgood has had to uh, face. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting that um, the inconsistency of position, you hear my body, my choice. I don't have to wear a mask if I don't want to. But then you, you, you know, and that's dealing with the mask mandates, but then the same people turn around and say, you can't have, a, you, you can't have an abortion. Uh, what happened to their body, their choice? It's the inconsistencies that we're seeing. And it's gonna be interesting to see how, I think it's out of Mississippi is the case that's going to, to um, uh, be, I think first up in the new, uh, uh, calendar of the United States Supreme Court next month and in a couple of weeks. It'll be interesting to see how that that goes. Uh, Dr. Osgood, um, uh, we're wrapping up um, and some of these issues we could obviously, if we had more time, we can dive deep into them. And uh, Mr. Rogo, you've taught classes for the entire semester uh, on, on some of these principles and, and, and cases. And so have you Dr. Osgood, um, uh, what is it that we leave the public with on understanding in, in the most simple form, understanding uh, where the line is between personal liberties, constitutional supported liberties, and, 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 and their exemptions are uh, their restrictions. And I don't like the word restrictions because it has a negative connotation. There are limits that must be placed to those individual rights uh, for the public good. How do we get that message uh, clearly to, to, to individuals? Dr. Osgood, uh, I'll start with you and then Mr. Rogo. Well, Attorney Pettis, I believe that there are some more absolutes. And I believe that one of those more absolutes is being your brother's and sister's keeper. My individual rights and liberties end when they cause harm to others, especially children. Our children are our future. If we don't protect them and keep them alive, 
then we will never have the value of the business that they will create, the program that they will design, their contribution to this nation. It will all be diminished because we fail to do our moral responsibility of keeping them safe and protecting them. As an individual, I live only as free as I can until my freedom and liberty is causing harm and suffering to another human being. We have to live collectively free and collectively we have to live out our liberties. Liberties and freedom is not a singular or individual thing. When you're living in a society, when you're living in community, when you're living in family, when you're living within an organization that you have to function in, whether you're working or going to school or even just simply going to the grocery store when others are involved. So it has to be a we instead of an I. Well, well stated. Mr. Orgo? I think, I think Dr. Osgood has said it. You can't be selfish uh, and live well in this world. And that's what Dr. Osgood is saying. It, it's, it's being understanding and tolerant of others and their needs. Uh, and if we are, uh, we're better people for it. One of the um, uh, articles that I read in preparation, you know, raised uh, the uplifting slogan that we've all heard, give me liberty or give me death. Um, uh, and the, the author said, uh, some people are believing, give me liberty and give them death. Uh, don't want to be restricted. Uh, uh, but you all have put it, you know, Dr. Osgood in particular has put it well. You know, we need to be uh, cognizant of the community and, and the neighboring, uh, the obligations of being a good neighbor. Uh, to both of you, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, this is a very important issue. We need to continue the conversation. Thanks so much for participating on this panel discussion with Can We Talk 360. Uh, I think it's going to be very enlightening. You come from different perspectives, and I think we'll educate people that there are circumstances upon which even our constitutional rights uh, must be limited for the greater good. And, and the more we talk and educate people, hopefully uh, people will understand that, and, 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 and particularly uh, in schools and the safety of our children, uh, but in community as a whole in so many, so many um, uh, uh, occasions. So thank you very much. And thank you for all that are listening uh, to this uh, panel discussion. And until next time, be safe. The law firm of Hallitzer, Pettis & Schwamm is a proud sponsor of the Can We Talk 360 podcast. Our firm handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, catastrophic personal injury litigation, and workers' compensation matters. We pride ourselves in being advocates for justice on behalf of those who have been seriously injured. For decades, we've taken the lead in making your case our priority. It's who we are. It's who we'll always be. Hallitzer, Pettis, and Schwamm. Serious injuries, proven results. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Can We Talk 360? I sincerely hope that you are inspired to seize this moment in time and take real action towards change. Remember, all change begins with a conversation. Be sure to tune in every month for more fascinating discussions and motivational food for the soul. 
Please share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Can We Talk 360 and visit us on the web at www.canwetalk360.com.